This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Casey here, hostess of the Joyful Courage Parenting Podcast, wanting to make sure that you have already signed up for the Joyful Courage 10 Holiday Edition, right? Today is Tuesday before Thanksgiving. It's only going to get crazier moving into December, so I want to come together in our community and really get intentional about creating a holiday season that feels good, that feels loving that feels nurturing for everybody, right? I want generosity to not just be something we think about and want our kids to lean into. I want it to be alive, gratitude alive, right? Togetherness alive inside our body. So before you listen in on this podcast or after you listen, head on over to joyfulcourage.com slash JC10, joyfulcourage.com slash JC10 and sign up. Okay, I know you've been meaning to do it, so just do it. All right, enjoy the show. Joyful Courage Parenting Podcast, episode 69. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome back to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So happy to have you back. Yay! Um, yeah, super excited for the show today. I want to give a big shout out to all my new listeners. Hi, hi, welcome, welcome to the tribe, welcome to the community. I am so happy that someone told you to check me out because we have fun here, don't we? I love podcasting. I am so honored and grateful that all of my guests say yes to being on the show. I am humbled by the feedback and response I get from the people who listen. So if you're new, right on. Let me know what you think. And if you're not new, (laughs) if this is the 10th Joyful Courage podcast that you've listened to today, I love you. But maybe you should pay more attention to your family. (laughs) Kidding. Well, not really. Um, But I'm just so grateful every time there's another download of the show. So thanks for being here. Today's guest is Lori Prusso. She is a positive discipline trainer. She is my friend and somebody that I have um, grown relationship with over the last few years with my uh, work with positive discipline. She has 
been a parent educator and a trainer for many, many years, raised many, many children, and has worked in the community college uh, early childhood arena. So she's going to tell us a little bit more about who she is and what she does. She's fantastic. And today we are talking about that behavior in our younger kids that sends us through the roof, right? So the biting, the hitting, the kicking, the hair pulling, the throwing of blocks. I I laugh because uh, Ian, you know, my boy, he has always had a great arm. Like he can throw hard and it goes right where he wants it to go. And there was this running joke that we always would have to put the uh, toilet seat down when he was little. Because if he walked by the bathroom with anything in his hand, or even if we are carrying him by the bathroom with anything in his hand and the door was open and the toilet seat was up, whatever was in his hand was going to make it into the toilet. So yeah, right? What do we do when our kids are biters? What do we do when our kids are hitters? And Lori's going to really help us deconstruct the why behind um, this behavior and help us with our language around it as well. Um, And coaches us on how to coach our kids, both preventative tools as well as how to respond tools with our youngest kids who are getting really bugged and hurting each other. So if that sounds good to you, listen up, peeps. You are going to love the show. And after you listen and you think, I did love that show, let me know. Show up in the Live in Love with Joyful Courage page. Uh, write a review on iTunes. Send me an email at Casey at JoyfulCourage.com. Let me know what you think about the podcast. I'd love to hear from you. But I'm done rambling now. Let's meet Lori. Hey there, Lori. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm really good. I'm so excited to have you on. Too. Me too. Will you please share with the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? I will. I'm I'm thinking newly of myself as radical grandma. Ooh. I, that's <laughs> so awesome. I have strong <laughs> ideas and opinions about how children should be raised and treated and educated and and I got some degrees, but my real credentials are that I survived raising um, six boys and a dog named Bear. Oh, my gosh. And then I married a really good friend of mine who had five sons. So now we have 11 grown sons. And I've worked in um, early childhood and education at almost every level. But um, but really, I learned most of it. I learned from you know my, my cumulative hundreds of years experience from my family. So right now, I just retired from teaching community college for 20 years, and I'm doing a lot of consulting and training and um, playing with grandkids. And when we're not doing that, we're riding our Harley Davidson into the sunset. So um, I'm excited to be home today and be with you. Me too. Oh my gosh. Did all of those boys live under one roof at any point? They did. No. Oh, they did not. We got married when the youngest was 25. Okay. So, and we have 44 grandkids. Oh my gosh, Lori, that's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But they did all grow up together. We've lived in the same community and they've, uh, they've grown up. They went through scouts and sports and, and all that together. So they've known each other their whole lives. 
Wow. Yeah. Cool. Well, today we are going to talk specifically about kids under five and how to handle aggressive behaviors. And I'm, I'm guessing, I'm assuming that you said six boys were, you started with the six boys, right? Right. Right. So I'm, I'm guessing there may have been a little bit of rolling around and yeah, a little, yeah, a little tiny yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, and in my work and I'm sure in yours as well, this is something that really triggers parents. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I have yet to determine if it's worse to be the parent of the aggressive child or the parent of the child who's taking on the aggression, right? The receivers or the givers. And then, you know, when it's between siblings, you as the parent get to be navigating both of those roles. So let's just start by talking about development, right? Development at this age, this under five, um, that can lead them to aggressive behaviors. And when I say aggressive, I'm thinking like, right, hair pulling, biting, kicking, hitting. The holy trilogy, we call it hitting, spitting, biting. And then there's the pulling hair and the throwing things and the knocking things over and all. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. (laughs) Development is really the key to it. So, um, I'm actually reluctant to use categorical terms like aggression just because kind of gives parents permission to separate ourselves from the child. And then it justifies us acting in our frustration and anger. I actually have parents that call me and say, you know, my three-year-old's really violent. And um, our vocabulary says something about what we believe. So I'm going to invite our listeners to think about the vocabulary that they use to describe behavior and what that means to them, because it will help them unravel this trigger that it is for all of us. Love that. Yeah. So children, especially siblings... Um, and then kids in group care are going to hit, kick, punch, and destroy things for lots of reasons. But the but they're almost always provoked by something that's going on around them, mm-hmm. and that happened immediately before that um, behavior that we don't like. And so, as soon as we name it aggressive, then then we're likely to forget, right? To to look at what really happened, and and I see this all the time. And I read literally thousands of observations from early childhood classrooms where that child that hits would be told this is not acceptable. And then they get punished without any Mm -hmm. exploration of the why or the what happened before. It just isn't, we just believe that we do not tolerate hitting and then it's, and that it is associated with aggression and violence. And in early childhood, that just isn't the case. So, so I have, grandsons named Dylan and Jack and they lived with me um, for four years and which I loved mm-hmm. and um, so Dylan was two when Jack was born and um, just a little over two and this is what happened this is the typical thing that happens in families so Dylan was playing with his blocks on the carpeted floor and when Jack was about nine months old Ryan could crawl and move and, and get toward him he's attracted by what Dylan's doing Right. That's the human thing. We want to be connected to our older sibling and we see we're enticed by what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So Dylan sees him coming and he yells, mom, get Jack. He's going to mess up my blocks. But mom was busy in the other room and didn't hear him. And Jack got closer and closer. And Dylan yelled, mom, Jack's getting my things. But mom didn't come. And finally, Jack made his way across the room and started grabbing. Mm -hmm. And so Dylan tried to position his body between Jack and his tower that he built, but Jack got in and pulled 
some blocks down and the whole thing came tumbling down. And so then Dylan hit Jack, mm -hmm. right? He's not, Dylan's not quite three at the time, I guess, if Jack was nine months. And um, then mom heard the baby crying and came running. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Dylan gets accused of being aggressive and hurting his little brother. Mother's very frustrated and angry and loses it mm -hmm. and yells at Dylan and takes him firmly by his arm and puts him in his room mm -hmm. for some downtime. Right. And then Jack crawls around happily on the floor, mid the blocks, picking them up and chewing on them. <laughs> so so the dynamic that that occurs there is the beginning of how we actually create sibling rivalry. Yeah. So impulsive behavior will always happen, but this is, this is a dynamic that we actually occur and play a role in. In fact, um, Daniel Siegel calls it sibling chess, and it always gets worse when adults get involved. So mom believes that, Dob that Dylan is becoming a mean child, and he always hits. And he, and he does hit often because Jack provokes him often. So her once loving and sweet firstborn has now become in her mind an aggressive monster that's out to get the baby and she needs to protect the baby. That becomes her role. Right. And then Jack begins to believe that mom's always going to step in to protect him and he'll win if he provokes Dylan. And Dylan's feeling the loss and grief of being rejected by his once loving and caring mom. So do you see how this begins to play out? Totally. So it's a big trigger for us and... We know that something's a trigger if we have powerful emotional response to it. Yeah. So certainly a child hitting, usually talking back, sometimes not eating their food. Those triggers are related to how we were treated as children. Mm -hmm. So it happens, this will happen whenever there are two or more children. And the only real antidote to it is an adult sitting on the floor for the whole time that the children are interacting. It's, as Jane Nelson says, it's supervision, supervision, supervision. And we don't want to do that at our homes. We want to get the laundry done. We want to get the floors. We have things to do. And we leave our kids alone in a room and somebody's going to provoke somebody and then somebody's going to lose it. Right. So we do have things to do and we do have small children in the house. So what are some ideas that you have? And, and some are coming to mind right now. I mean, I remember folding laundry amongst the children. Right. I remember setting up, we had a drawer that was full of plastic Tupperware in the kitchen that was available when I was in the kitchen. Right. And those are all great things to do. So whenever you can be with, being with is the first solution for everything. It's preventative mm -hmm. and it's interventative. So um, whenever we can be with and have our children with us, whatever we're doing, if we're one of those that's in that mode, um, I remember my mom giving me all the washcloths to, mm -hmm. to essentially play with, but she, you know, made me believe I was helping her fold them <laughs> um, while she folded the other stuff. Right. And then she would show me corner to corner and corner to corner to, to, to fold things. And that, that certainly is, um, a preventative thing that we can do, but there are times when we, when we need to leave the room and, mm -hmm. and it's going to happen. I, we had some, uh, kind of not immediate relatives, but in-law relatives that would come and bring their kids and they, they were older when they had kids and their MO was just wherever the kids are, that's where we're going to be. So all the adults would be doing their thing, you know, whether it was a holiday dinner or whatever, but one of them was always where the kids were. It was mm -hmm. fascinating to me. It was like a huge sacrifice on their part, but then that kind of stuff didn't happen. 
because yeah. because they were there to help um, mediate any of those kinds of of issues. You know, whether it was reach and get the taught the crawling baby and put put him on their lap for a while, or or provide a different toy that distracted or whatever, yeah. and and that prevents the hitting. So, and I had Laura, Dr. Laura Markham come on and talk about this too. And she talks about being on the floor and coaching and recognizing that there's a really important opportunity there when our kids are really young to be in the role of, of coach and guide and helping them to develop skills and learn language. And so, yes, there are things to do. And to add to that list, I think would be like floor time with kids. Yeah. Floor time with kids. That that idea of coaching young children in developmental psychology and the world of early childhood, we call it scaffolding. Mm-hmm. So you're taking the child where they are mm-hmm. and and with the language and behaviors, helping them kind of get a better cognitive picture of what's going on and moving them to the higher level. But some of that ability just simply isn't going to present until, sure. until the development occurs because it's really tied to immaturity. Yeah. Right. So parents hearing that, listeners hearing that, hearing that, yes, just because you sit on the floor on a Monday and coach around language doesn't mean Tuesday your children have mastered how to share. Absolutely. <laughs> He's using it right now. Find something else, right? They're right. Get that. Um, it really doesn't occur until um, at the earliest between the second and third birthday. So we call that the third year. There's this huge mm-hmm. leap in self-regulation skills and maturity between being a two-year-old and being a three-year-old, but really isn't in place then until that next year, the year okay. between the, the third birthday and the fourth birthday. You see huge gains in, um, in ability and self-regulation and language is such a key yeah. for children being able to negotiate things. And gains, huge gains or huge leaps is not the same as mastery. Like that's something I really, because I, th- I noticed that when I work with parents, you know, the frustration really is in that, I mean, we've said it so many times, we've done it so many times, and there's this expectation that there's a certain amount of, quote, times that we say or do or model or practice that then we're going to have children with, you know, mastery of skills when... Gosh, man, look at the emotion that's alive right now in the right. adults. Right. You know, and so I want to go back to your um, model or to your example, though, with Dylan and Jack. Uh-huh. So if you could go back in time and that situation played out and mom didn't hear Dylan, because I think that's a really common, obviously, that's a, such a common story. So, Lori, if you were going to be able to rewind that scenario and play it out in a way that mom could, you know, recognize her part or whatever, or handle it differently after the fact, once it's the hitting has already happened, what would you say would be an effective and helpful way to handle that? Oh, that's a really good question. So after it happens, then the, I call it the universal solution. It has to do with listening to everybody that was involved in the problem. Now, Jack's not going to have much to say. Um, in using curiosity questions, you know, tell me about what happened here. Oh, what just happened? I wonder, you know, those kinds of open-ended questions to get the child to express um, if they have language, what happened. Mm -hmm. If they're too young and they don't have language, then you tell the story, Mm -hmm. right? You just start giving them the words. And when we do that, when kids are two, by the time they're three or four, they're really good at problem solving. So could it sound like, oh, wow, Jack 
crawled over and knocked over your blocks and you were calling for me and I didn't hear you. Yes. Exactly. And that's really disappointing yes. and we frustrating. Found, it is. It's the naturalistic observational report that we learn in school, you know, in the anthropology and psychology. Wait, wait I have to write that down. Nat <laughs> naturalistic. Naturalistic observation. Observational report. So we teach in our early childhood classes, we teach our students to just sit and observe. And then mm -hmm. when they write their report, it has to be absent of all judgment and assumption. Mm -hmm. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. So I actually, I actually have an example here that it was coming up um, later, but let me, let's see. Okay. So here's one, here's an example. So, you know, as I said before, young children aren't good at playing with each other and they're, and in fact, if I could, if I could teach parents one thing, I would say, never expect your children to share. Children do not share 
until between the age of four and five when it's important to them to have a playmate that stays with them and collaborates. So ah, sharing is one of the most inappropriate expectations that we have in early childhood. And it is a huge trigger mm-hmm. because we were all taught to, quote, be nice and share. Mm-hmm. And we grew up believing if you don't share, you're not nice. And we describe it as selfish and things mm-hmm. like that. But it's that's incorrect. So so here's uh, two-year-olds together. And um, uh, Maria's playing with the doll. And Lizzie comes and takes it from her. All right. And, and so we intervene after everybody's crying and all that. And this is what we could say. Maria, because they don't have language. Maria, you were playing with that doll and Lizzie took it away. You really wanted it and you got frustrated and you hit her. Mm-hmm. And then you turn to Lizzie because she's part of the conversation too. Mm-hmm. Lizzie, you really wanted to have that doll that Maria had. You wanted the one Maria had and you took it from her and she hit you and now you're crying. Mm-hmm. There's no blame, no shame, no humiliation, no judgment. We just state what happens and connect it to an emotion. Mm-hmm. So if it was two-year-olds and I knew what happened, I would take the doll and give it back to Maria. I said, I'm going to give this to Maria because she had it first. But with tod- the, the gift with toddlers, until kids are two, two and a half, it really is okay to just go get her another doll. Right. Right. After that, once they have language, then that's not an effective thing to do. But with toddlers, you just, let's go find a doll for you. And, and you help them to repair that. Or you just let them cry and be unhappy because people need to be able to deal with their emotions. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things we're seeing um, today in our society is that uh, when people don't get their way, they get really mad. And, and, you know, I'm all about nonviolent, you know, protests, but there's something else going on here that Mm -hmm. I didn't win. And so I'm going to have a tantrum and it's, it's interesting from my educational perspective to be watching and to to hear what people are saying. Yeah, it is very, a very fascinating thing. So in the scenario of Maria and what was the other little girl's name? Lizzie. And Lizzie. Okay. So I love, I love that example. I think the languaging is really important for parents and listeners to hear. And so I'm going ahead into the future and I'm imagining the same scenario showing up over and over again and Maria doing the hitting and Lizzie. So, and, and then the parent, you know, the, the adults saying, Oh, Maria is never going to learn not to hit. <laughs> right. That's yeah. the fear. Right. Uh, yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Okay. So, so behavior is this wonderful dance of interaction between the rollout of development, which we call biological maturity. So every year we get a year older. And the internalization of the experiences that we have, and in early childhood, those are really focused on relationships. Those are our experiences. It's how we interact with the world, but our world really revolves around the people that are taking care of us. And we call those parents, and I still Mm -hmm. call them parents. Um, So maturity is the number one predictor. And we can look at these behaviors and see that universally they appear and then kind of extinguish in a predictable sequence. For instance, most, not all, but most children bite between the age of 18 months and three years old. 
they bite at some time, they either bite their mom on the neck or they bite another child. But that is a, a purely developmental behavior. And then based on the experience that the child has about it, that stage either gets extended or it diminishes very quickly. So based on the way the world around them responds. Right. Got it. Right. So maturity is that number one predictor. And, you know, some of the things that happen in those first three years are the hitting, spitting, biting, throwing things, lots of tantrums, because they really don't have any other way to deal with their frustration and irritation. Um, uh, saying no rolls out at that time. Um, when language comes after the no stage, it initially is what what we call talking back, which is a child learning to share their opinion and their desires. And mm -hmm. it's the way we manage that that predicts kind of how how quickly the appropriate behavior is going to follow that immature. I call it the immature example of desirable adult behavior. Yeah. So talking back and saying no becomes being outspoken and being an advocate and being a public speaker. Right. Those are good, desirable adult behaviors. So I had, I read some funny book early on. I, it might've been children, the challenge. I, I did read that and it might've been that. Um, but I learned that when my kids said, yuck, I don't want to eat that. The desirable adult behavior was no, thank you. I don't care for any. Right. It's a totally different. Oh, I love this. Yes. It's well, and, and we want them to be able to do. Yes. And I feel like this whole under five period is like the perfect training ground for the parents. Absolutely. For what's coming ahead. Because here's these kids and they're exhibiting these behaviors that are, that get under our, we get to learn what gets under our skin. What are we attached to? Where are we projecting into the future? We get to learn all of these things with these little humans that have no agenda. Right. 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 They don't have an agenda. Like, like, I love what you just said about the yuck. I don't want to eat this because that is one of those places where in my experience, I take it so personal. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very quick to want to say, I do not make gross food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and so that's a trigger for you. Yeah. Yeah. But hearing that, recognizing it as, you know, them exploring advocacy and not necessarily having the tools or the skids or the skills, or the even the understanding that there are ways of saying things that are, you know, to lessen the blow or to get more specific around what you're trying to say, you know, and as the parents, I love, 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 even when, and Julieta Skoog's been on the podcast a few times, and she loves to talk about this, even when they're non, you know, when they're nonverbal, it's great, because it gets to become the practice of how are you going to speak with them? How do you want them to speak to you? Start when they're babies. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the biting thing, I love this. I have a great story about biting. I had a parent in one of my classes who had four kids. At the time, had four kids. The oldest was six. And the youngest was like uh, probably nine months. He was this cute little roly-poly baby named Walter. Oh. And yeah, he was so cute. And then child number three... Every chance who was maybe two, I think she was right around two, any chance she got would bite Walter on the toe. Sure. 
And mom was, you know, out of ideas. And she, I remember her saying things like, I, I just don't know what to do. I've done timeouts. I've bitten her back. I've slapped her hand. You know, I've yelled. I'm trying not to yell, but I get so triggered. And this is the baby. And, and I said, okay, so you've tried all those things. And I'm going to invite you the next time that it happens, because you know that it will. Yay. You know you're going to get a chance yes, to try something different. Sure. And I invite you to bring her in. Because we talked about, you know, the perception, interpretation, belief, decision, right? And how this little two-year-old was the baby and now she's not. Yep. And I said, pull her in and tell her that you love her. And this mom looked at me like, are you kidding me? And I kept, and she kept like, she really resisted this. And then finally I said, hey, you know, you might just try it. You've tried a whole bunch of other ideas. And so she came in the next week to class and she said with tears right in her eyes yes. and said she bit Walter I put her on my lap and I gave her a hug and I said I love you so much and it's not okay to bite yeah and she hasn't bitten the baby since perfect yeah That's exactly what I say to do pick them up go to the rocking chair read a book cuddle with their blank yeah. comfort them and say I don't like it when you bite yeah. Yeah. And I love you and you matter to me. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, I, I've got a two-year-old living with me. Um, oh, lucky you. I have a puppy, so it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. With 11 kids, <laughs> right? We always have somebody that needs a puppy. Oh my gosh. So, so we have our, um, uh, one of our sons and daughter-in-law and their little Millie. And, and Millie is a hot-tempered Latin girl. She's <laughs> just adorable to die for, but she gets mad and, um, and she started biting. And yesterday, she her mom was in the shower. She's a nurse. So when she gets home, she showers before she has any interaction with the baby. And, and so her mom was in the shower. And she got mad. And she wanted her mom. And she had her hand wrapped in the shower curtain. And she bit the curtain. But she bit her finger. So she actually bit herself. <laughs> and left marks. And, you know, it's just, there's no language. And they get mad or they're not. Again, they're not getting what they want or um, we're expecting them to do something that they can't. It, there's always a provocation mm -hmm. and, and using that language and nurturing. Mm -hmm. Nurturing is always the answer. Anger and, and separation and rejection are never the answer. Yeah. Are never the answer. And when you talk about nurturing, what does that look like? Well, for a baby, you know, it would be to pick them, picking them up, putting them on their, on your lap, telling them that you love them for, even for a three-year-old, you know, mm -hmm. it would be, oh, this was really hard for you when your two friends came to play and, and they wanted it to play with your things and, and you didn't like it and you, and really giving them good language. You felt threatened or, yeah. um, you were irritated and frustrated and then you wanted to act in anger um, it was really, and it was really hard for you so that, so that they're not creating mistaken beliefs about what's going on. Right. Well, and I love that too. And I, and I think it's important to point out that sometimes, and probably a lot of the time, nurture is not at the top of our list in the moment. Right. Right. It's not necessarily always for some of us, depending on the models that we've had and the experiences that we've had. You know, it's it's it can be challenging to move into nurture when everything in our body is. Are you kidding me? 
that you just did that. Right. And, and there's multiple factors at play. One is our own triggers and how mm-hmm. we experienced and, and internalized in our own childhoods. And the other is just the, you know, the societal stuff that we've been taught about if there's not a negative consequence, you're being permissive. Right. Um, the operant conditioning and rewards and punishment systems that we've dealt with um, really can interfere with our ability to step back and, and look at that and say, but what do I want this child to be able to do? In fact, yeah. with biting, Love that. the thing with biting is that we actually, if we, if we interpret biting or hitting as aggressive and then we react to our child in a harsh way, we are being aggressive. Mm-hmm. We are actually being what we're telling them we don't want them to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have that little activity that we do, the do as I say, where where people really learn that. And then I often invite, uh, you know, it's the old adage, you know, if you if you hit your brother again, I'm going to spank you mm-hmm. because I don't want people in our family to hit. Right. Don't until we step back and listen to that objectively. We really don't understand. We're we're responding, we're reacting really from our own experience and from this belief paradigm that's that that we have chosen to follow, and we really don't know what else to do. Right. That's when we're. That's when you know you're desperate, right? And I was going to ask you about spanking. So this is, and I. I mean, I can already guess, but <laughs> you've already said, and it, you know, and that's just a hot conversation, right, in the parenting yeah. arena to spank or not to spank, and and you know, I, I want everybody who's listening to know that you know we're all I my come from is we're doing the best we can with the tools that we have, and I remember. Uh, my son, he was four, and he went through this period of time where he w- thought it was really funny to s- to slap us on the bottom. Uh-huh. And it was so, oh God, it was so annoying. Annoying, yeah. And we, you know, it was like we tried all the, all the tools, right? And it just kept happening, kept happening, kept happening. And then one night, one morning, it was an early morning, and we were in our, we were camping. And so we were in our camper. And he had crawled into bed with me and, um, I had, I was leaning up to open the blinds and I gave him the perfect target. Right. Oh yeah. And he gave me a little, well, not a little, he gave me a great big swat on the bottom. And I mean, I just completely flipped, turned around and he's laughing and he's in his little naked body. He's curled up in a ball at the head of the bed laughing. And I mean, without even thinking about it, I gave him a swat on the bottom. And my kid is super pale. Oh, okay. He is super pale. And it left the perfect handprint. And he was so shocked that that is how I responded. His eyes got so big. And he looked at me and he said, you're not my mom. proceeded to fall apart of course because it hurt him yeah you know and then I was just like oh my gosh you have pushed me kid over the edge to this place where I never want to be and so then I got to navigate my own like I'm a terrible mom (laughs) you know I got to play in that and and you know and we were able to make it right and um and it did stop 
the bottom slapping. Oh. <laughs> well, and sometimes it will. And of course. Uh, and it's absolutely not, I was, I am absolutely not okay with how I handled it. I am grateful though, that we have tools and models for then repairing relationship, right? Because right. that's exactly, yeah, you were and it so took a while for him to hear me and for him to, to, and, and it wasn't like, well, if you wouldn't have da, 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 it was really like, wow, I am so sorry that I hit you. Yeah it's not okay to hit people and I did that and I'm and I just want you to know that I'm really sorry and you know and once he was able to hear that we moved on yeah. and he thinks now he's 11 and he says because what followed you're not my mom is Sitka is my mom who is our was our dog, dog at the yes. time and so now he'll be like hey mom remember when I said that Sitka <laughs> was my mom and you know we have a little laugh about that but Aww. you know I just I, I want to share that story because I think it's so important for parents to feel like if you've been there done that it doesn't mean that you know there is no opportunity to learn new skills yeah and to make it right and to shift and um, to try something new. I, I, I think the window is always open for better and for growing and for evolving as human beings in relationship with other human beings. So please don't listen to this show or any of my shows and think I've already wrecked right. <laughs> my kids, right? right? Because, yeah. you know, I want to be really transparent in my own practice as well and you know, you it's were, hard. The fortunate thing for you is that you had you had already learned some replacement skills and you yes. recognized it and you were able to to recover, as we call it, or you know, Daniel Siegel calls it repair pretty mm -hmm. quickly to support your child in their own healing. And you learned so much from it. I didn't learn this stuff until my kids were, were much older. But I was spanked as a child. Um, and I'm sad to say I sometimes did spank my kids more often. I just threatened and kind of swung around a wooden spoon at them, which they love to tell <laughs> horror stories about. Um, and I didn't learn about positive discipline and other tools to use until some of my kids were almost out of the house. But I can honestly tell you that when I was spanked as a child, and I was spanked once so badly, I'd have ice packs put on me and, and I carried a pillow to school so that I could sit Aww. on the chair. And so there were, there were many times that I was spanked like that. Um, but I was terrified and emotionally detached from my parents and I didn't mm -hmm. trust them. And I never believed that I could share my needs or concerns with them. So imagine that as you're growing up, there's nobody you can turn to or talk to about what's going on in your life or that you're sad or scared. Yeah. Um, so I don't recommend spanking ever because of my own. And I think that is the rule of thumb when, when most um, children are spanked, it's a terrifying thing. Right. Um, so I never recommend uh, spanking. And there are. Nor do I, for the record. Nor do that, I. Right. No, I, that was clear. Yeah. <laughs> there are a hundred other things that we can learn to do, but we have yeah. to learn them. Right. Um, so as a grandparent, I can tell you that it's it's even harder. And, mo and most of our kids don't spank, but some of them get pretty harsh. Um, it, it is an impossibility for me to be in the presence of that. It's so 
hard. Children have, my grandchildren have a smallness and a powerlessness that as a parent, I didn't realize mm. because they're kind of growing with us. And we think all those things we said before, they should know better. I've already taught you this. Why aren't you listening to me? But as a grandparent, you see how little they are. Even eight-year-olds are these tiny little things that can't, mine can't even ride on all the rides at Disneyland yet. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I have this other radical perspective of it, but in reality, when, when we as parents scold and hit and threaten and spank or anything like that, it's because we are feeling frustrated and angry. It's the same reason children bite and it's the same reason children hit yeah. and, and we, they haven't yet learned effective ways and appropriate ways to behave. And we haven't either. And so we make a mistake. Hey, everybody, listen, I'm so excited to give you an update on Songfinch. Songfinch delivers. I shared last month that I was going to have them create an original song for Ian, my graduating senior. Well, the song is done and the process of co-creating it with the artist on Songfinch was so cool. I got to provide details and ideas and then the musician of my choice wrote up the lyrics put it to the music that I picked, and the results are so cool. I can't wait to surprise Ian with it. I will be sure to record it and share it with all of you. Songfinch is an innovative service that lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people you love. It's completely unique, personal, and it lasts forever. After moving through their process, you get the final results in four to seven days. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free. So you and the lucky person you gift it to can listen to it anywhere, anytime. Whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, wedding, or anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care. Start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. Go to songfinch.com slash joyful and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, which is a $50 value. Again, my URL is songfinch.com slash joyful. Don't forget to share your song with us too. songfinch.com slash joyful. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. So I truly believe it's better to do nothing in the moment. If I'm feeling that frustrated and angry, this is what I learned when I began to learn positive discipline. It was better for me to do nothing, which probably meant I went and cooled off mm -hmm. than to hurt a child or humiliate them in any way. And I'm a changed person um, who has asked for forgiveness from all of my grown children. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's a new thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. There's so many other ways to be, right? And I've seen, um, I, there was a great 
So the positive listeners, the Positive Discipline Association has an annual conference where we get to see and practice and play with new activities. And one of them that was demonstrated this summer was um, the facilitator, Kelly Pfeiffer, who's actually also been on the show. She drew the outline of a child and asked the crowd, you know, what are the, what are the, you know, what are the tools that kids, the undesirable tools that kids have for handling conflict and, and frustration. And so, of course, biting, hitting, kicking, screaming, yelling, whining, you know, all of those things came up and she put them on post-it notes inside the child. Mm. And then, um, and, and so we, you have this visual and then she says, do we want them to engage in these behaviors? And the answer of course is no. So she takes all the post-it notes off of the child and she says, okay, so, um, this child, so we, we tell them no hitting, no biting, no kicking, no whining, you know, all of these things that she's taking the post-it notes off and she says, so what are they left with? Nothing. Right. Uh -huh. So the, I, the visual is a really powerful reminder that as we invite them away from these ineffective, uncooperative, hurtful ways of handling challenges, we also have to add in what to do. Right. So can you talk a little bit, since we're talking about this, you know, kind of hurtful behavior, behavior that is, I'm, I'm see, do you hear, I'm trying to move right. away from aggressive here. Right. Um, so when we're teaching about being gentle, when we're teaching about speaking into our needs, what, what does it look or sound like? And you had that example with Maria and Lizzie uh -huh. as the nonverbals, but even as, you know, maybe, cause I think that we get, our minds get tricked as we see our kids grow from waddler to toddler to preschooler to now they're four, four and a half. And some of our, our four-year-olds are big. Yes. And I think that messes with our sense of what they should or shouldn't be able to do or handle or navigate. It does. It changes our expectation. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say a lot of times it's, it, it, we have inappropriate expectations mm -hmm. because they seem so big, especially if we have a new baby, then they're like, you know, yeah. grown. <laughs> no, Giants. it's true. It's true. So um, I, I think one of the things that was an epiphany for me, because all these things in my life kind of um, converged at, at the same time, is that in every situation where, where we're going to be invited to feel frustrated and irritated with children, there's a story. And I think it's, it's really important to to recognize those stories for so for Maria and Lizzie I told you the story mm -hmm. right but as children begin to get language then what we want is for them to tell the story so one of the the things that often happens and I have to tell you that I I speak to hundreds of people I probably spoke to 300 people last week mm -hmm. when I say in most settings when I say um when you have children that are hitting what do you want them to be able to do the mm -hmm. answer I get is stop hitting, right? Which leaves the child's body without any post-its on it. Right. Exactly. Right? What do you want a child to be able to do? And then I say, what is the story? If, because most of the time, especially in early childhood and classroom settings, we don't see what happened, right? right? If children have gotten to the point where somebody erupts and screams, I hate you or, or hits, we probably haven't seen what was leading up to that, or we would have gone and intervened and gotten on the floor with them so listening to the story um when we listen to the story if 
if we're rational and objective, what we realize is that there was a mistake that occurred and somebody got provoked and, and hitting or saying, I hate you are the things that young children do when they're very frustrated and they don't yet have sufficient skills. Um, and then I can help the children figure out from their own suggestions what to do. So do you want to stay here and play together? Do you, do you feel better now that you've talked about what happened? Mm -hmm. Is there a way to negotiate that? Would you like to, to be apart for a while? And usually, usually they hit their really good friends and they say, I hate you. You're not my best friend anymore. You're not coming to my birthday party and things like that. They're really good friends. That's, mm -hmm. that's, those are the situations in which those things happen. And when they are able to hear each other's stories, then we're helping them be able to, in the future, do really good perspective taking yeah. and be respectful and realize that everybody sees from a different point of view. And so that, that universal, I call it now, the universal process is listening, validating, listening to the other, validating, listening as often and as long as you need to, which usually takes about a minute and a half, and then inviting them to, to have a solution. And the solution, in my mind now, replaces the word consequence. Yes. That is what they're going to do. So they're going to find that second doll, or they're going to get another tub of blocks out, or they're going to go outside because being inside is too hard for them. They want more space or whatever their solution is. It's that conversation that happened before it, which I call conflict resolution or problem solving or solution sure. mining. That's the value. That well, I think that it's learned. Yeah. And, and, and I can hear, so I have this tendency to hear all the yeah betters that are out there listening uh -huh. in the future. Uh -huh. And I think it's really, this is so important and so powerful, but what I, what I, what I know you also, the part of the context of this is also that when we ask, tell me the story, we're coming from a place of looking for solutions and not blame. Right. So if you are a parent and this, you know, the blame game has been where you've where your come from has been like I got to figure out who actually started this. I got to figure out somebody whose fault this is. Somebody needs to get in trouble. In fact, I I used well, to start. I taught a sixteen week essentially positive discipline class at the college. I taught three sections of it for about eight years. So mm -hmm. that's six classes a year for eight years. Mm -hmm. um, but I started with an open-ended sentence statement and people had to respond to it. And that statement is no one needs to get in trouble because I wanted to know what they believed about children's behavior and universally, well, nobody needs to get in trouble unless they do something wrong and then they need to get in trouble. Mm. Right. Right. So then when the, when the conversation is, well, tell me what happens. Right. Then there's got an obvious solution. Yeah. Or so not so obvious, but, and, and I think, cause I'm also, I'm also hearing the conversation of like, well, when I ask that question, they give a really skewed answer that, 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 well, recognizing that if all of a sudden you are shifting your way of being as a parent and you are going from this blame based to solution based focus, it's going to take a while for your kids to buy in to that. To trust when, right, right. To trust, trust you trust. because 
It's like, I know this, this question is a trap. Yeah, they're gonna, they're, they're gonna think you're fishing for blame. Right. Um, so that's where family meetings come into play. Mm, yes, love that. Um, so f- in my mind, family meetings, I think the most valuable thing about family meetings is that it's the place where we can hear our children's interpretation of what's going on in their lives. And we can, um, with reflective language and good listening skills, um, we can invite them and we can even explicitly teach so that their mistaken understandings of things get an an opportunity to be resolved. Love it. Uh, Family meetings are, are the perfect way to be connecting. They should never be used for problem solving in the context of um, somebody's going to take this blame and and yeah. pay for this, but but rather this process. Parenting is such a process. Oh my gosh! Of, of, <laughs> it is of, such a process. Learning. It's kind of I call I I think God has some practical jokes for us, and I think one of them is that about the time we start to figure out parenting, we're done. Oh, great! Not that we're ever really done, <laughs> but we are done in the sense that we don't have influence or um, as much proximity and things like yeah. that with our kids. And, and after they go, then we go, Oh, but, but people that are tuning into Casey and listening to her podcast and participating in her, her face-to-face and online classes, we really have the opportunity to learn about this parenting process now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I love that for sure. And you know what I love too is the, I love it when parents begin and it was a, you know, a a journey for me. It was a process for me, but like that day of, oh my gosh, they are actually here to teach me how to grow and how to develop as a human being. You know, once we can like open ourselves up to that, man, like everything shifts and it doesn't mean that it's not, you know, frustrating and challenging and hard days and, and days where you just simply have to say, okay, I need to reset right, and come back to what's important to me because I notice that I'm slipping back into these old patterns. Like that's all just part of it. Yeah, it is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The triggers, our triggers are actually, um, when our children's behavior pushes a button, we call it, right? They've been pushing mm-hmm. buttons all day, right? Right. Those triggers, right? And the the function of those triggers is to invite us to go write a story about that trigger yeah. and figure out why we have it and what happened to us. Why mm. do I feel so strongly, even we would say angry, right? When my children won't eat what's put on their plate. And I, I can tell you, I've seen abuse occur when children won't eat what's in front of them. That is our own problematic emotional baggage coming up like barf. Um, And it's because we believe a certain thing about biting or hitting or how our children eat or, Mm -hmm. or talking back. But that is about me. That is not about my child. And as I, as I experience those triggers and I go and journal about what happened when I exhibited this behavior. What did my parents do? What did I feel? What did I want to have happen? What did I believe about my place in my relationship with my parents? And then what is the behavior that I adopted as a child? And why is this a trigger for me now? Is that to me, that's the process for my own healing. Um, And, you know, just always questioning, um, 
why is this so hard for me? It's hard if I have emotional baggage about it. Yeah. But see, and it's, if it's, anyone out there is thinking you don't have any emotional baggage, yeah. I'm here to say you are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got some. Yeah. You've got some. Well, and I, I, lo- I appreciate that, Lori. And I love the way that you, I mean, what you essentially just did was you really broke down a process, a practice that can be so powerful on the parent journey, which is journaling. I mean, that's self-care, Yeah. right? Last week I had Sarah Yao on and she took us through box breathing and what that looks like and sounds like as a way to self-regulate. And so I'm, I'm so appreciating that, you know, there's another practice that, um, showed up on this show so, so thank you i could talk to you all day long many ways to heal there are so many things that we know about the mind heart body soul connection now and and actual practices or habits mm-hmm. that we can develop that will help us to to nurture ourselves and to feel love we can't really give that nurture and love to our kids if if we don't have it and and yes. until we look at ourselves, we we have this belief system that kids are aggressive or violent or bad or need to be blamed. And I tell you, I think I told you before, but I, when I got married, um, we've been married five years now. But one day my husband said, oh, who left the hose out? Well, there's only the two of us that live here, right? <laughs> and so if he didn't, then it was me. And I said, oh, we don't use the F word in my house. And he said, I didn't use the F word. And I said, yeah, you're you're trying to place fault. Mm-hmm. you're trying to blame somebody for this and we don't do that so if you don't like the hose out go put it away and and then well the hose is out because I can't park my car in the garage because the two Harley Davidsons are in the garage and so my windshield has ice on it in the morning and I was you know I don't allow time to wash my car off before I go to work so I was in a hurry so when I was done I dropped the hose and left for work and then right so there's a story <laughs> and, and it's not about whose fault it is Right. So did he say thank you, dear, and head right out and move the house? He did. He said, <laughs> oh, good. What an enlightened husband. He said, okay. And I've only had, I mean, he thinks that's just the funniest story that we don't use the F word. He tells it to everybody. But that's a shift for him, right? In yeah. their family, in his family growing up sure. and, and the family that he raised, there was a lot of that fault finding and also a powerful sense of kind of an undying love that they were all filled with that that was able to balance those two things but most people don't achieve that so So, yeah so once we stop once we can stop ourselves from finding fault which needs to be replaced by really kind of an idea of um discovery exploration and celebration oh look here's an opportunity to help my kids learn how to get along better or how here's an opportunity to help these children learn about friendship by listening to each other and and finding a solution love that that's That's big big picture picture, right yeah. yeah so the last question that i always end with is what does joyful courage mean to you Lori? i that is just the most fun question yay i so this is this is me this is my life right joy is the essence for me of being centered in truth and courage is heart Mm. and from my perspective Mm -hmm. and so i really try to live so that my life and my heart are centered on the things that i know are true I, i have limited knowledge right so i'm continually looking for that and when problems or mistakes come up then i have to dig deep and um and search and find. So I draw on my courage so that I can speak out and act in ways that are in harmony with what I believe. 
and and joy is not fleeting so so joy isn't like happiness it's not what comes from riding screaming or tower of terror at disneyland it's although california screaming is a great ride they're the best right (laughs) and that's excitement and that combination of anxiety and and (laughs) happiness right but joy for me is a constant it's a it's a choice in life and it's not fleeting and it if you have joy in your heart then you're able to enjoy endure um, challenges and adversity and change that comes because you have this constant and it's centered on on truth it's not um, threatened by every you know wind that comes or, or mm-hmm. problem that arises so I I just really try um, in my life to exemplify as much as possible and I'm certain that there are people that would not think that I do that but I do and that's my intent that is my Mm -hmm. intention and sometimes people don't I'm not able to express it in ways that other people perceive it that way or maybe that's their own crap I don't know but yeah well that's the human being in us right (laughs) but that but but to sit down and actually think about that question was really an interesting thing to me and it and it brought me back to what that is how I try to live my life. And I yeah. love it. It's the title of your, your, uh, your work. So yeah, thank you. I love you. I'm so I glad that you came it. on my podcast. <laughs> it, it has been a joy. Yay. Good. Um, where can people find you and follow your work? Do you have a website? So I'm not tech savvy like you are. Um, but I do have a website, and somebody actually complimented me on it the other day. So I, my daughter-in-law built it for me. She's a wonderful artist. So my website is just simply teacherlori.com. And um, I do lots of radical workshops and trainings and keynote addresses and um, a lot of fun things in life. And and I'd love to do more. And now that I'm retired, I'm, I, I can do more. So... You can reach me at teacherlori.com. And I actually have a little blog I've started. Yay. It's things that I wrote when my kids were making me crazy so that I didn't hit them. Oh, perfect. And so I've posted the first one. It's about when you can't find the scissors or a flashlight that works. (laughs) And it seems like one other thing. I can't think of it right now. But, you know, by the time you find the batteries that work, you can't remember what you needed the flashlight for. That is so funny. goes through that. So I'm, I'm just posting one of those. Every once in a while, it's a, yeah. it's a column called, um, this too shall pass. And then it gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I just have to say when I started blogging, my very first blog post was all about the toilet overflowing oh. and having to get a, a router, a oh. router. Is that what it's called? Yeah. So that you shove in there anyway. Yeah. It's so. You got a power. God. A oh man, I was so mad that day. That's a good analogy <laughs> for parenting, right? You have to power through the shit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, well, thank you so much. And thank listeners, there will be a link to Lori's website in the show notes. And it's just been a thrill. Thank, thank you, you so much, Casey. Have a great day. Did that disappoint? No. Was that amazing? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love Lori Russo. She's so smart. She knows so much. I wish I could just like take her brain and put it in my head sometimes. Um, Yes. Love, love, love. Okay. My favorite phrase that came up 
in the conversation was naturalistic observational report, right? So you can be like, listen, kids, I need a naturalistic observational report on what just happened. (laughs) I dare you to start using that language with your kids and see what shows up. (laughs) Um, I hope that you took a lot out of that conversation. And I hope that the main thing that you took away is there's always room for improvement. There is always room to grow. There is always room to say, wow, maybe something that I've been doing isn't so helpful and perhaps there is room to learn something new because I'm here to tell you that every single one of you listening to this show is absolutely, without a doubt, has everything you need to be the parent that you want to be. I totally, totally believe that. That is my come from. You are already always whole. You are creative. You are resourceful. And you have support. So if this landed for you, if you're really feeling like, wow, yes, I want to be a parent who can engage in naturalistic observational reporting and show up better for your kids, then come join the tribe. You can sign up for my emails, which... (laughs) One day we'll show up really regularly. Um, If you go over to joyfulcourage.com, the top bar you'll see, sign up for the newsletter. You can join the community on Facebook, Live in Love with Joyful Courage. This is a discussion group where everybody's coming from that place of wanting to show up really well for kids and wanting to be supported and held by other members of the community, parents that are going through the same things. And please, like I said at the beginning, sign up for the Joyful Courage 10. I already have over 100 people saying yes to that. I'm really excited to lead you and to guide you through emails, daily emails. Um, I'm going to throw in either Facebook Live or or meditations daily and, and a Facebook group where we can talk about what does it feel like to bring gratitude into our space Like really bring it, not just talk about it, but really embody gratitude, right? And be an invitation for gratitude for our kids as we move into the holiday season. So check it out, joyfulcourage.com slash JC10. Okay, I am super excited for some upcoming guests. So keep tuning in to the show. And um, big love, big love, and happy Thanksgiving. If you are listening, you're in the States and you celebrate Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. Two more days. Hopefully by the time this goes live, I will have already bought my turkey. I think that that's kind of important, but I'm hosting the the dinner and uh, (laughs) yeah, I'll let you know how that goes. Anyway, big, huge love to you. So, so appreciative, so grateful for each and every one of you and that you keep tuning in and listening to the show. Big love. Until next week. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. 
I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 